You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 221 and 222. We got the three twos in a row today. Mm. Two, two, two. It's good to be here. It is. I mean, we are getting through the Bible, but not just getting through it. I feel like we're... we're uh, Really talking through it, I feel like the story is becoming more of a followable, like yeah, situation here where it's an amazing movie, but it's not. It's the story of our people. It's the story of our God, and every day it just produces this wealth of encouragement. I mean, literally, it's like you eat the bread in the wilderness, right? And yeah. so the bread is the word of God, and it's sustaining us. Yeah, I I would like to be honest. I thought at this point I'd be like. All right, I'm kind of over it, but at this point, I'm like, man, I feel like we're finally hitting our stride, I know. and the story makes more sense than it's ever has. Well, it's great. Even like uh, this morning, uh, there's some days you just wake up kind of blah, mm-hmm. and I woke up going, ah, oh, I don't feel great. I feel kind of uh, mm-hmm. maybe I just want to not read the Bible today or something. But because of this show, I'm like, no, I know I'm going to enjoy it. And sure enough, mm-hmm. I pray. I pray the Apostles' Creed before I read anything, and I'm nice. like, all right, God. Bless the reading of the word. And then I get into it, and then it's like he feeds. He's literally feeding me, encouraging me. I read through this stuff, and then I go out and have this amazing prayer time because it's all under the, it's all been um, energized, like having a good Mm -hmm. meal. You have energy now, and now I go out and interact with God and pray because I've been full of his word. It's really really a cool experience. And I hope everyone listening, that's not to um, condemn you. It's to encourage you. Keep going. Like, eat this. Get in your mindset. This is our fuel. This is our daily bread is connecting to the story. And what's encouraging to me is every part of the story, if you have the patience and you can actually connect to it, every part of the story, even deep into Chronicles or Leviticus, is so life-giving. It is. You need every part of the story. You can't just go for the the time we won the Super Bowl. You got to go through the seasons that are... You know, where you don't win so many games. Yeah. I mean, and you support your team, and you, but you see what's happening, and you see who the mm-hmm. leaders are, and you see where God is in the highs and the lows. And it's literally feeding um, to the point where, oh, I read the Bible once, and now I don't have to do that again. It's like, oh, I need a meal. That's what we're providing today. We are a diner of sorts. And uh, we're, yeah. you know, come on in, have a cup of coffee, and listen to the Word of God. The Raven's and, Diner. Yeah. I mean, we are fed by ravens, mm-hmm. you know? So... With that being said, let's get into our Old Testament reading today. It's kind of exciting. Our Old Testament reading for today is 1 Chronicles 28 through 29 and 2 Chronicles chapter 1. All right. So the Chronicles, I realize, it's basically after all the genealogies and lining up the the great... Um, the great champion of David mm-hmm. correcting what Saul did. Right. Right. We finish up David's story, and then we're going to get into Solomon's story in Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. So let's finish up David's story strong, and it's good to see, as we learned in First Kings and in Samuel, David had a strong start, he had a strong middle, he had a few places where he fell, but he got back up, and he's going to end strong. He, yeah. Which and is it, hard to do. I, it is. Game, games are won in the fourth quarter, yes. baby. So he, in chapter 28, assembles... Uh, the leaders of Israel. So anyone who can show up, shows up. 
and he has this giant assembly where he then announces to everyone what he wants to do and what he's uh, what Solomon's reign is going to look like yeah. and what the temple is going to look like. And uh, it's pretty inspiring. Like, it's a really cool model of leadership, of, like, vision casting for the next generation, yeah. of, like, personally showing, like, I've, I've done a lot of work to set you guys up. Like, yeah. I've worked hard, I've trusted the Lord, and I've done a lot to do this. Uh, and then he, um, he has sought the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind. Mm-hmm. And then he says in verse like seven, eight, nine, he's basically saying to Solomon, he turns and he starts giving a charge to Solomon about mm-hmm. obey the Lord. I know. Seek and follow the Lord. He will be found. Don't stray from them. And then in verse nine, he just says, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Be careful now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house for the sanctuary. But be strong and do it. And so I I think just, I like the idea of finish strong. David Mm -hmm. is finishing where he began, which is very hard for humans to do. We think we get lazy, we get, it gets easy. We just forget how we got to where we got to, especially if it's good. Mm Mm-hmm. And the Lord is like, I don't want to keep driving you into exile. I don't want to keep, uh, I want to protect you and bless you. But man, when you get blessed, you turn and forget quickly. Right. And reading this and his charge to his son and knowing what happens to Solomon at the end of his life, it's actually kind of heartbreaking because we have like this sweet prayer from David where he's asking God, like, Lord, Bless my son, help him be committed, and it's just like, oh, man. But see, as Americans, we think so individualistically. I know what everybody's thinking. Why did God put all this on Solomon and all this hope when he knew how Solomon would finish? And it's because we're, the wrong question. Right. That, first of all, God's in a real relationship. Right. So he's hoping for the best for Solomon. And Solomon does have choice. Well, that's what I realized, because I used to think, because he says, they they drop this a lot where he says, uh, God loved Solomon yeah. and chose him as his son, and he would be like a father to Solomon. Right. And I go, well, if that was true, why did Solomon end poorly? Right. And because I keep thinking in this t- mindset of, well, if God loved him, then he must have been like he he should have been this like awesome from start to finish right. guy. But realizing God loved him because he loves him because he loves all of us. Right. He loved Solomon, and so the end has nothing to do with the love, love of God. God. Yeah. It has to do with what God is doing on earth yeah. through him. And so the call is right. stay connected to your, your heavenly father. Because he loves you. Right. And then, you know, first of all, we always put ourselves in the position of judging God, right? Like, why mm-hmm. did you do this mm-hmm. if you knew? That's not loving. No, he's extremely loving, actually. Um, the problem is with the, the sinful and broken condition of mankind. And so Solomon makes choices mm-hmm. to fall away that are common to the situation. That's why we need to call upon God. But um, anyway, I, I'm just yeah. saying, though, God, even knowing, like, let's just yeah. say God knows everything, right? right? So God knows how it's going to end. But God's still going to use a broken person to accomplish the yeah. high point of his people on earth. He builds a temple. They have an amazing, prosperous right. time. Uh, anyways, so that was getting a little bit ahead of yeah, ourselves. We'll get ahead but, of but it was just... 
we've already read the Kings and we know how it kind of all falls apart. But, uh, what's interesting in Chronicles in 28, at the end of 28, we actually get this, I don't think this was in Kings where it's revealed that David had the plans to the temple already laid out and they were revealed to him by the Lord. Yes. Well, and, and that, which is really cool. Yes, David had, just like Moses was given the plans to the tabernacle and uh-huh. everything, the Lord gave David the, the plans. plans to this temple, and David's clear to say, this is not a temple for man, this is something huge. And that's what we get into um, 29, the palace, I mean, he basically starts off too, as he, um, he starts, he addresses the people, and he's addressing the offerings for the temple. Like, mm-hmm. this is going to be ridiculously awe-inspiring because the God of the universe is going to be here. Yeah. He's chosen to meet us here. Mm-hmm. And so David's words to the assembly basically are one through five. Assembly's uh, response is six through nine. And David's prayer for the assembly is the end of chapter 29, the end yes. of First Chronicles. Yes. So you get into his words to the assembly, and he's like, offer... Um, I'm personally giving all my savings to this. Yeah, that's what, I, it was so cool. Um, so I was actually, I drove my wife in to work this morning and okay. she was listening to it, oh, this nice. today's reading. And I, and I had just read it, but listening to it and hearing David, like the idea of David, like I have all this money set aside already, mm-hmm. but all the money that I have set aside for myself I'm giving it all to the temple. Which is the opposite of every uh, all the bad kings yeah. who use all their money and take money from mm-hmm. the temple. In fact, like parting it out. Yes. You know, like a giving chop shop. Giving it to other nations right. and everything, yeah. And so this sets up, if you've ever wondered about, um, you know, we can find verses for tithing and giving. But again, another, another kind of place in the scriptures that show how money doesn't dominate the people of God. Right. It is used for what is valued. And what is valued for the Christian is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength. Mm -hmm. And so the value for David is, where is God going to meet with us in the normal means of this Mm -hmm. creation? Right. He's going to meet with us through the ark. He's going to meet with us through the offering, the priests and the prophets. And I'm going to give my life happily to this. Yeah. And so the people respond, and it says they... um, the people gave free will offerings because the, and this is my words, because the word of God was so precious to them. Mm-hmm. The response of the people, too, says something about what they value. Right. And so um, if you're free to understand the God of the universe can take care of a sparrow, he can take care of you, then you're free to do the things that you actually value and not just become a slave, mm-hmm. which is what money has always done to people, money and power, and what it continues to do and ravage the church today, where everyone is so scared about money, mm-hmm. then they can't properly put the value of God and his resources and his love and his care and his steadfast mercy um, that they miss it. And so the call of God is not that you give like a slave, like like Pharaoh did to the people of Egypt, give me everything and mm-hmm. now I'm giving you less resources to give me more. Mm-hmm. It's the opposite. I'm giving you the opportunity, I'm providing for you people, protection, my presence, all these good things. And I want you to give free, freely, and mm-hmm. with a cheerful heart. And, and the people do, in part, because they see what David has done. They know that he's with the Lord. He's leading them to the Lord. And he says, I'm giving everything. So you have this great response of the people giving free will. And this isn't the first time. This happened mm-hmm. with Moses. Right. He did the tabernacle. Yeah. 
this happens over and over again. So to think that uh, like giving is an Old Testament idea and now we don't have to give, is it's easy to fall into that mm-hmm. thought process because you're thinking giving is a law and it's legal and it's like the Old Testament says we have to give, but not the new. You're missing the heartbeat of the gospel. <laughs> Literally missing it <laughs> so horribly. The reality is, no, the heartbeat of God's people is to recognize all the gifts that God has poured out upon them and give freely and with a cheerful heart to the places where God is enthroned. Right. Where he And today he's meeting us through these very mundane means, the preaching of the word of God, the reading of the word of God, baptism, the Lord's Supper, the congregation singing, and now the beauty is it's not in one temple. It's in millions of little churches and in people all mm-hmm. together as they gather. So that has not changed with Jesus Christ. Right. Jesus Christ has actually made that more accessible to the entire universe. Mm-hmm. It's no longer just at Gibeon mm-hmm. or just in, right. in Jerusalem. Right. Um, and we've hit that before. So the response to the people says something. He gives a beautiful prayer. Yeah, and then oh, to, to even drive it more home, oh. like the reason to give is he... he gets into like lord uh we give this stuff to you but it's not even ours i know it's all yours anyways so we just give we're just giving it back to you because it already belonged to you and you just gifted it to us exactly that's part of my daily prayers now is i am realizing more and more everything i have is a gift Mm -hmm. not just food and shelter and protection but my faith the fact that i get up every day and i go oh forgive me for things i did Mm -hmm. on purpose and the things i didn't do that i was supposed to do and he does, and I'm absolved. And so everything is a gift. It's a beautiful prayer, but all we have is a gift. So of course, you're going to give back mm-hmm. to the greatest place on earth, the greatest right. source of life on earth. Of course I give to that, because I am a loyal and happy subject to the king, right? to King Jesus. Because I look to him for everything good. And my king defeats death itself. Right. So yeah, I'm going to pay him before I pay taxes to a guy who runs, you know, who, who controls things for four years and is right. fickle. It's like, come on. But anyway, um, David then anoints Solomon, and they even make a, uh, a reference to it's his second time. This is the official coronation. Mm-hmm. And then it just gets into how David reigned 40 years. And I did like this. They mention Nathan and Gad the seer as authors of some things. And so, Samuel. And Samuel. So what I liked about this was the reason Chronicles doesn't list all the negative stuff is not because they're like only, I think at the beginning of this, I thought, oh, they only want to list the good things for the returning exiles. Mm-hmm. But I've learned, oh no, they are well aware of the writings mm-hmm. of the prophets. They're well aware of First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings. And they're like, all that stuff's been listed. Mm-hmm. So you can go back for that. What you need to know now is the heartbeat of our civilization, of our culture, is temple worship. Yes. Boom. Uh, Then we get into 2 Chronicles. And as a a quick note, originally, these two books were not separated. They were one book. And they were even, before it was known as Chronicles, it was known as the events of the past. I know, The days past. The days past. It's pretty Mm -hmm. cool. So Chronicles just means history. It's... The events of the days yeah. past. It's mm-hmm. um, well. This is now. You kind of have David. The he brings back kind of retribution from what Saul did. Saul mm-hmm. took everybody in the wrong direction. David reestablishes things, 
And then you see uh, Solomon now as the reign of God kind of idealized. Yeah, an actual After restoration. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the manifestation of the ultimate kingdom of God on earth and heaven. And really, it is the physical manifestation, the highest physical manifestation the people of God have ever had. Yeah. Because Christ is spiritual. You know, people can't see Christ's reign mm-hmm. and rule, but Christ is definitely our prophet, priest, and king forever. Right. But Solomon was where everything was popping. I mean, mm-hmm. it was the seventh wonder of the world. Popping, man. I mean, it was like in HD. And so, um, <laughs> but I did notice the pattern of the kings is kind of set, where you have the bad king who rebels, and then you have the king who kind of brings restore, uh, brings back things to where they're supposed mm-hmm. to be, and then you have the king who will restore all things the way and, and kind of bring the manifestation of God. At least a shadow of that leading mm-hmm. up to Christ. So the exiles coming back are going, we're ready for our next, we're making things right, yes. and we're ready for our next Solomon. Yeah. Um, and so Solomon worships at Gibeon. He recognizes the old tabernacle, right? Right, because the tabernacle like, is still at Gibeon and not in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant is. Right. But also the original altar that yes. Moses built is and, still in front of the tabernacle. And this is what I picked up this time. It's so cool. Solomon is prophet, priest, and king. Again, yeah. Yeah, so he's uh, a priest. He's going to offer up a 1,000 bulls, which, mm-hmm. by the way, if you, if people ever try to get you into numbers, like the actual num- numerology of the Bible, and you know, if you've been going with us, you recognize 40 years is like a perfect reign, 40 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, seven, of course, is creation. The eighth day is the new beginning of perfection. And then a 1,000 is always used as like kind of eternity. It's like mm-hmm. the perfect eternal number yeah. a thousand so yes. when you offer a thousand bowls it's kind of it's a number of perfection it's yeah. a millennial gift and then of course the offering is all the gross stuff is burnt away and it's what re- remains is this sweet smelling fragrance of a barbecue yeah. in the nostrils of god which i was thinking today as i was praying like all my sin is burned yeah by the priest christ mm-hmm. and what remains is the sweet smelling aroma of my faith Ooh. I know. And this is how we can look Ooh. at each other with love and charity huh. because we're not looking at just the fat and the entrails of our humanity. We're looking at the sweet, that for Corinthians. I know, the sweet smelling aroma <laughs> of our faith, which Christ has sacrificed before God. But then there's even more because this is where I, I connected this. Solomon is a, indeed a great prophet Yeah, because he receives a dream. Mm-hmm. He receives word from the Lord. And what do you want? Mm-hmm. And this should answer um, the fictional, like, oh, a genie in the bottle shows up and you have three wishes. Yeah. Well, God knows what everyone wishes for. He says, you didn't wish for uh, power or money or honor, honor or, or beauty or what, yeah. whatever it was you wanted. You asked for wisdom. And Solomon's heart at this point is, I need wisdom to govern this great people of God because mm-hmm. I can't do it on my own. Mm-hmm. And God loves that. And to me, that shows God's heart. Right. Solomon, you get my heart. I only have cared for these people. Right. And that's what the exiles and need to hear. If you want to care for these people too, I'm with you. Yeah. and, and like Whatever you want. And money and power is nothing to me. Yeah. What is everything to me are the hearts and minds and the bodies of my sweet children. Yes. I yes, love yeah. it. And so he does. He's like, I will, I will help you. I will give you Dude. everything you need to govern my people well. And so the high point starts really well. And then it gets Solomon gets wisdom, but then everything nationally 
is like going great. Mm -hmm. So he's got strong import, export. He's got strong relationships with allies. He's got, everything is like, boom, in its right place uh, for the temple to be constructed and for them to be the place on earth where everyone recognizes we have our other gods, but man, their God is the God. Yeah, and the countries around them are not at war with them. They have rest because it is going to be like, what, like, 11 years or something like that. Yeah, it's going to take time to build this thing. Yeah. So for me, the end of it is, thank you, Jesus, for being our king, our prophet, and our priest. But as our king, Jesus has settled all the borders of the earth, and he's put all of our enemies, which is death, at bay. Mm -hmm. So even though death can get to us, they can't uh, dislodge us or disunify us from our inheritance and from our king and from our people. Praise Jesus. All right. Let's go to our next book. Let's just go right into our New Testament reading for today is 1 Corinthians chapters 5 through 6. So you got to remind me, in chapter 5, we we came to the conclusion that Paul... um, Chapter 5 or the one we did before? Oh, I'm sorry, chapter 4. Yes. So we ended with him as a real dad saying, am I going to have to come into that room with... The, the wooden paddle or whatever to spank you guys or am I going to be able to come in and give you hugs because you figured it out and you were able to share and hugs and paddles right. you're able to love one another so let's stop with the divisions but then he goes on now now I feel like anyway maybe you feel differently but he's like uh, in chapter 5 okay we do have an issue yeah so <laughs> so it is interesting because I was again like I've read these things and yes. heard these things and they're all in like, let's just read chapter five and you don't take any of the rest of the book in or letter in context. Context, context, context. It's just all like chapter five, here we go. And, and what we know of the situation is just chapter five, but we don't take into context of like him talking about like, we want unity. You guys seem like you're still acting like kids like where it's time to grow up, we're trying to grow up, and you and either I'm coming in, don't judge the apostles and the people who have brought you the word, and now he's coming in, and at first you're like, wait though, Paul, it sounds like you're now judging someone. What's well, going on? Yes, that's what's so funny. And in, in this chapter, typically, I've I've had actual people say um, use it to excommunicate someone right so Mm -hmm. because in verse uh, 9 I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people Um, and then you have to read the rest of it but people you know sexual immorality is a big deal in their culture and in ours yes and so Paul is getting right to it for the Corinthian church this is a big deal and I think it's a big deal in cultures where you're financially okay it's a big deal for every culture Mm -hmm. but think about it if you're working all day just to survive battling with the earth to provide and cook and just live, mm-hmm. uh, you don't have as much leisure time to get into little uh, rendezvous. Yes. You know what I mean? And so, but the Corinthians are much like our culture in that sexual morality is an issue. And he did just come off of uh, his little, I would say, sarcastic rant in chapter yeah. four 
about how they were acting arrogant and boasting about how far along they are in, in Christ and how they're so free. And he's like, cool. And uh, what's going on with this guy in your, in your fellowship that's yes. uh, having an affair with his stepmother? So here's why, yeah, this is why it comes up. Paul literally says, <laughs> look, in Roman culture, even in the surrounding culture, they aren't sleeping with their stepmothers. Yes. Do you understand how humiliating this is? And then what we're going to see in five and six is, for Paul, it's not like, what are we allowed to do and what are we not allowed to do? Right. That's, that's like the immature view of not understanding. Like a child, well, I closed the door. Um, what's about air conditioning? It's yeah. not about opening and closing doors. Right. And for Paul, it's, it's not about sex or no sex. It's about unity with Christ and his people, that you partake of the body and blood of Christ. Mm -hmm. You're united. Mm -hmm. You're bringing the body of Christ into places they should not be and uniting them, physically uniting. It's not even a metaphor, people. Um, And that's the issue. And so that starts to change the way you think about it. So as a kid grows up and they realize, oh, I pay for air conditioning. Mm -hmm. It's not just about closing doors. It's about a lot of things. that's what happens with unity. Sorry, there's a ridiculous monsoon apparently <laughs> happening outside. And it's just been growing in intensity. Anyways. Yes. But so there's unity. So just realize Paul's talking about unity here. So to use these passages to only excommunicate, it, yeah. you, you kind of have to look at what the real underneath motivation is. Yes. And so he does talk about excommunication here. He does say a little leaven leavens the whole lump because he's saying we are assembled in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been baptized mm-hmm. into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so someone that the... I've been watching a lot of World War II documentaries and shows and things like that. But the idea is if someone is... You know, you're fighting for freedom against the Nazis. Mm-hmm. You can't go out and tell the Nazis to be a spy mm-hmm. and then come back in. Right. Because that's what it's like. Right. Right, yeah, right. So you're... You become part of the body, you part of the church, but then you're going out and and handling the things of Satan and unifying Christ to the things of Satan. And he's like, stop. You can't do that. So he just says, turn that, stop. If someone's going to, you find out they're a Nazi spy, stop having them sit at your table and sharing right. all the secrets and opening right. yourself up to them. Right. Tell them, just say, hey, why don't you go hang out at the, the Nazi place if that's what you want. Yeah, the, so the interesting thing, too, is this whole discussion, he's framing it around people that are you are within Christian fellowship with. Yes. He's like, I'm not telling you to break off all relationships with people who are sexually immoral, who are idolater, who, who are greedy. Who He's like, it, you wouldn't be able to be in the world if that was the deal. Well, he it's, literally says that. He goes, I'm not talking about, I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's like, I'm not, you're not called to judge the outsiders. You're called to maintain the purity of the brothers like you would a brother or sister. Right. I mean, basically, you got to think of an intervention, right? Right. You're, you're drinking a lot and it's getting out of control. You're, you're isolating people. You're causing problems. It's not good for the unity of the family. Mm-hmm. So we have a meeting where we lovingly write out letters to you and say, hey, here's how you're hurting everybody. We want you to get help. Yes. You then have the response to go, I don't want help. And then, okay, well, 
you're not welcome to just, we're not right. enabling you right. and making you feel safe in this family as exactly. you're destroying your life. Yes. That's how you have to look at this. Yeah. And I think too, we also want to make a judgment call of like, I think the, the judgment that he's referring to in four is a judgment of salvation. He's yes. like, don't do that. Yes. That's not yours. But in chapter five, he's like making a judgment call on what's best for the family. Right. Not, is this guy in or out of salvation? He's just like, yes. No, 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 no. That's not the question we're offering here. Because that's not your position. You're not the judge of that. So right. why would we even think about that's? It's just this isn't good for the family, right? Because he's bringing sexual immorality into the family, and that's going to spread. And that spreads to the whole family. Yeah. So we're going to take him out of the situation. We're going to take him out and pray that God saves him. Right. And that's of course you realize too over and over again. It's you approach this guy with, we love you and we want you to be saved. We want you to to have all the benefit of being unified to Christ. Right. And so then that's why he goes, look, we're not talking about judging outsiders at all. We're talking about loving the brothers within. But then he gets into lawsuits, right? Another section, it's like, we just want to know, what do I do or don't do in a situation? And Paul does not pretend that it's ever that easy. It's a Mm -hmm. relationship with God and then a relationship with others. And to even navigate any of these things, you have to receive the love of forgiveness of God, recognizing your own need for forgiveness and absolution by the grace of God. Now you can give the need for Mm -hmm. forgiveness for your brother and absolve him in the name of Jesus Christ. And so lawsuits. In this culture, lawsuits are taking place out in the open. You can go Mm -hmm. and anybody can be a part of it and listen to it. And apparently Christians are suing each other. So when you say this culture... You don't the mean Roman. R. No, I'm talking about the Roman culture. Cool. So there's a Bema seat of judgment. There's a yeah. place in, in town where you can go for fun and just listen. And yeah. The mm-hmm. airing of grievances. And now he has to say, hey, kids, when mom and dad have a big fight, you don't need to go out into the world and announce it all and get the, and then ask for uh, the judgment of the world yeah. on something that happened inside our home. Right. And what Paul, it, Paul's not saying, oh, justice doesn't matter. He's not saying just get over it. He's saying, we're the people who judge. We're going to be judging Satan and his angels. Mm-hmm. We are the ones who are, can discern spiritual matters. We're the ones who've been given forgiveness. We're the people of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So if you suffer some wrong, our leader suffered some wrong. Right. What are you going to court for? And what is the world that's sentenced to death going to do for people who are sentenced to life? Right. Come right. on. Right. And so... You can't go to this passage and go, oh, you know, if someone has embezzled from your company and it's going to go to a lawsuit, I would say I wouldn't use this. This is not talking about like wrongs that happen in the marketplace or things that like real crimes that happen to you. We're talking about disputes and things within your church, your brothers and sisters. Your brother steals some money from you. I'm talking like your actual little brother. You have a brother. He steals some money from you. Can you figure that out? Yes. Or do you have to take him to court? Yeah, and ruin his life. Right. right. So again, the underlining part of this is unity. I think the idea of unity is so foreign to us and actually being unified to people by faith. I think so. That we can't even imagine if someone in the church who we share the body and blood of Christ with right. does something to hurt our feelings. We want right. justice right. because we don't see ourselves in them and them in us. Yeah. But we are blood relatives now by the blood of Christ. We're more connected to the people in our church than we are our brothers and sisters that we were born with. 
We were just born with them. These mm-hmm. are people who we've joined up and the Holy Spirit has done something. So this is Paul's heart and mind with this. And it's a beautiful passage. But then at the end, he's like, look, do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Again, another out of context verse. Uh, and this one, I think you can use it. I think uh, it's true and it's there, but I think we put too much weight on it. Like, because uh, he says, sexual immoral, idolaters, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swinders will inherit the kingdom of God. So we like to take that as, oh, if you do those things, you can't be saved. No, not no, what he's saying. That's what he's saying, because he even follows it up with yep. chapter 11, or well, verse 11. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Yes. The point is that we've been cleansed of our homosexuality and our greed and our theft, mm-hmm. and we are being forgiven, even if we're falling back into it. Mm-hmm. We repent, we ask God to forgive us, and we are, yeah. because... You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So when we judge one another, you've received forgiveness for your own sins. This Mm -hmm. is the plank in your eye and Mm -hmm. the plank in the other eye. We are the people who, we have the opportunity for forgiveness and reconciliation, empowered by God, right? not just the law. Right. So act like it, guys. Yeah, and again, I think, too, what, like these lists that he gives of... um, of sins. Yeah. It's actually lifestyles. Right. Like that's a, the other thing. Like it's just, that's my lifestyle and I'm never going to change. That's, that's the, just who I am. You're and, right. You're and right. It's your, it becomes it's, your identity. In fact, that's how the, I remember doing all the Greek studies because yeah. I remember reading certain things like, Oh no, if I've done one of these things once, that's who I am. I can't inherit the kingdom of God. Right. It is, this is your identity and you're unwilling to change it. Yes. Which by the way is kind of the scary thing with some of the sins when we just say, Oh, I'm just, greedy, I'm just, I always do this, or yeah. I'm just a homosexual. It's like, well, yeah. at least struggle with the word of God and go, oh, God, help me. Yeah. And so that, again, he's like addressing hardcore lifestyle issues right. and saying, but you guys have experienced freedom. God can actually free you from those. Like yeah. those don't have to be your identity. When you make them your identity, that's where you should be Scared and any, a little nervous. Any identity other than you are now washed and justified mm-hmm. and sanctified in the name of Christ yeah. is going to become a prison for you, uh-huh. whether you feel good about it or not. Um, that's why he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. And I like this. He's like, food, he even uses food. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body, and then he goes into sexual immorality. But the idea there is, Things we become enslaved to things, and especially enslaved to the idea of freedom. Mm-hmm. I'm free to do whatever I want, right? Right. And Paul's like, yes, but you're, uh, those things might destroy you. Yeah. And in fact, everything you're free to do, if given and made your identity, will destroy you. Mm-hmm. You know what real freedom is? You know this. We've learned it, and we continue to learn it. Freedom to stop. Yeah, to say no. The freedom to say no to things yeah. is much more freeing than the freedom to say yes. Mm-hmm. Think about all the obligatory stuff you guys, my audience, says yes to. You say yes to all sorts of ridiculous Christmas parties and gifts you don't have money for, for people you don't know that well. You eat more than you want to. You drink more than you want to. You spend more than you want to. Oh, but we're free to. I might as well. It's, you know what's hard? The freedom to say, no, I don't want that, and I'm going mm-hmm. to stop right now, even though I can do it, mm-hmm. yeah. which probably says something about our debt issue in yeah. America. Interesting. Yeah. Well, then the rest of the passage, 
deals with sexual immorality and the reality of um, sex, yeah. which is, you know, you might think your wedding day is when you got married, but historically, the day you become one with a person is yes. very rudimentary. Yes. It's absolutely a physical thing. Mm-hmm. So when you in, involve yourself in sexual intimacy, intercourse, mm-hmm. you literally, physically, and spiritually unite yourself to another person. Right. Uh, I know we don't believe that in our culture. It's like, whatever, it's just fun. Because, you're, we're, again, we're thinking individually. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the problem. When we think individually, we're not thinking corporately and, and that we're actually a part of the body of Christ now. Right. Even though we eat his body and drink his blood. Right. And so um, Paul is saying, when you visit that temple prostitute, you are uniting the body of Christ to a demon, to another person. Mm-hmm. And so Paul is very clear here. He's like, um, shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? I mean, imagine Christ going to a prostitute. Would that affect you if you found out Christ went to prostitutes? Right. Would it affect my people as pastor if they found out I went to prostitutes? Why? Because we trusted you. Because you were our leader. And now we don't know who you are, what you're doing. Right. Well, guess what? You are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, which makes you a part of the temple, which makes you Mm -hmm. a part of the body of Christ. So whether you're in leadership or not, and you go out and unite yourself to someone that we don't know, that is not part of the people of God or Mm -hmm. a prostitute, it does affect everyone. It's not just the leaders. It's all of us because we're all in this together which is where the strength and the beauty and the glory of God is. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? And this isn't about smoking. I mean, it can be. But see, again, we read it through individual, like, oh, your body's a temple, eat right. No, your body is important because it's part of a bigger body. And when you sin in my church, it affects me. Mm -hmm. When I sin, it affects you. Mm -hmm. Can we believe this? Yeah, I think... We were talking about this earlier, and the real issue here is that we don't believe we're the temp- we're the body. Yeah, the our issue, body is the temple of the Christ. The issue is not about sex or drunkenness. The issue is we don't believe we're united. Like the way when I mm-hmm. sin, it affects my wife because mm-hmm. it might affect my mind, and she's like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "Nothing." Or mm-hmm. I'm upset, or I'm mad, mm-hmm. or I'm this, or that. It affects her. We have to start believing. This is what Paul is saying. You guys are eating, literally eating the body and blood of Christ. This is what we're saying and we're confessing Mm -hmm. and we're saved because we're now in Christ. Mm -hmm. So he's not even trying to address like, is it okay to sleep with people? Is it okay to drink or smoke? He's not, he doesn't care about that. He wants you to understand the root, which is the positive, not the negative. See, this is the Mm -hmm. gospel. And we, we look at this stuff and think it's the law. Like, oh, I'm bad because I've sinned. Paul's not presenting a law here. He is a little bit, just to say, please stop. Yeah. And because the law is very basic and it's harsh and it's cruel, but he's presenting the gospel. You are united with the God of the universe's son. Mm-hmm. You have a new bloodline. You are princes and princesses. You are kings and queens. You have bigger responsibilities. You're not just working a job to then relax. You are ambassadors of the king in your inherited land, mm-hmm. which is the earth. You are not your own, he says, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Mm-hmm. It matters. It matters. And you want to say to people, oh, you matter. You matter. Why? Because you're a person? Yeah, you matter to God. 
but you matter even more when you're part of the body and blood of Christ, which means what you do matters. You're mm-hmm. not isolated in that. You matter, people. And the good news is you're forgiven for all that fornication and adultery, whether you've committed it in your mind or in your body. You are forgiven if you ask. If you want to be forgiven, right. you are forgiven. And so I will announce to you, stop fornicating, stop lusting, stop using your body for horrible things. It's not your body. And if that stirs you like, I'm sorry, good. Now I can announce to you, you're forgiven in Jesus Christ's name. But if you don't want forgiveness, guess what? You're going to deal with your disunity, with your isolation, with your never-ending, unquenchable thirst for life, which will never be quenched apart from Christ. Mm-hmm. But hey, if you want it, you're forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> that's the long gospel. And that's what a dad would say to his kids. Yeah. And that's what Paul is saying to us. Yeah. I love you kids, but get your act together. You carry the Barcott name, man. You're not just going out there. Anyway, I'm also sending my daughter to college this Friday, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little wound up on this issue because uh, the, the world is exactly opposite. Yes. And so I just pray. Oh, God. And I say, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And he does. All right. Whew. Our psalm for today is Psalm 93. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord and know that he forgives you. We'll talk to you next time.